Hello and welcome back to It's Symbolic, where we go around and around and just end up back here. I'm Jacob Savage. I'm Ben. And I'm Mandy. Still not Mir, unfortunately. Yeah, yes. Mandy is still here. Yes, she is. This is this is just part of the contract. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, college. I wondered why you wanted that pint of my blood. Oh, that that was unrelated. Oh, okay. That, that was unrelated. Don't ask questions. Fair well, we enough. also had an NDA on that, so uh, we're going to need to find you. We're, we'll discuss that after this. All right, sounds good. Yeah. Before we go into it, I just want to say all of our fucking music episodes have been cursed. Have they? I really don't remember. Haven't we only I, done, like, two? Yeah, but when we did the Shags, my entire Wi-Fi went out the night that we were supposed to record it. It took forever for us to get the scheduling down for Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. And what happened this time? <laughs> this time, my fucking mic broke right in the middle of recording. <laughs> oh, I remember that. that. I was there. Yes. Oh, man. That, that was fun, wasn't it? I, yeah. That was fun. <laughs> so, if it sounds like... I had a like, good time. Yeah, if it sounds we some like we are reliving any of this information, it's because we are. We are stuck in our own perpetual Groundhog Day loop. Well, I'm not, because I'm always just sort of checked out when we record, so information just goes <laughs> in one ear, out the other. Yes. I mean, maybe if one of us becomes a better person and falls in love, it will be broken, but... Oh, uh, damn. The chances of that are maybe, slim to none, maybe aren't can, they? Maybe I can learn to play piano. There you go! I don't know. What's your stance on ice sculpture? Uh, don't have one. <laughs> okay. So, what are we talking about this week? Yes, this week we have completely bungled our introduction. We are talking about the seminal, question mark, pop punk band Jellyfish. I was the one that suggested this. This wasn't a v- listener suggestion, and neither of you had any idea what I was talking about until I brought up a very specific thing. Uh, apparently I did know what this was. I just didn't know I knew what this was. I just never exactly. know anything, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even if there was some part of me that didn't know what it was, I would have just instantly said, like, I don't know. I don't think the, the, I know. That's the thing. This whole podcast is just an attempt to educate ben i god knows i need it this is a community <gasps> there service. is life outside of video games it's it's very sad to be honest anyway we may as well just get right into it because we are already very tired <laughs> yeah yeah nothing against Friday you night. jellyfish it's just that we're, this episode did not want to be recorded apparently <laughs> And we're fighting with the last ounce of our strength. Yes. Yep. So, <laughs> Jellyfish was first. Still has an episode to edit. Yes, I do. <laughs> oh. All right, everyone. Uh, Je- thoughts and prayers for Jacob. Imbue him with your power. Send well, him when you hear this, it'll blood. be too late. Uh, trust me, I always need them. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a backstock with everything like very carefully labeled too. It's very well organized. Jacob, tell me about them fish. <laughs> yes, jellyfish, which is a very good name for a band, I believe. Was first formed in 1989, San Francisco. The seeds the of the land group- of dreams. Yes. Uh, is San Francisco the land of dreams? I've only been there once. I don't know. It's the land of bad traffic. I mean, says so the entire East Coast. They're not special. It's it's a whole different level around there. I'll tell you <laughs> what. Okay. Uh, jellyfish Look, has I don't its... say this lightly growing up in the DMV. <laughs> <laughs> that being the Delmarva area, not... Not the Department of Motor Vehicles for everyone at home. Ben was not raised in that kind of DMV. Well, maybe I was. 
Secret backstory. I'll never tell. tell. (laughs) So, Jellyfish has its roots in two other groups. The first, Beatnik Beach. Or Beatnik Beach. I don't... It's spelled like beach, but with a T, so that it's the word beat, and then C-H. Oh. Yeah. Like music. I yeah I couldn't yeah. tell if it was a music pun or if it's like ha ah, it sounds like you said this other word but really it's not. Mm. Oh, <laughs> right, this was naughty. a bit that'd be cheeky. Can they do that? <laughs> Did they go there? Oh, Is no. it legal? Anyways, right, this was a group that lasted from about 1986 to 1989, and two of the band members were actually high school friends. Andy Sturmer, who did drums and vocals for the group, and Roger Manning, who later joined the group on keyboard. They, already being pre-acquainted, have dabbled in some songwriting by this point, but this was very different from what Beatnik Beach was doing. So, eventually, the group broke up, and they went on to other things. Meanwhile, we have the band The Three O'Clock, also based out of San Francisco. Their lead guitarist, Jason Faulkner, put out an advertisement in the newspaper. Because that's how they did things back then. Craigslist hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> Sounds shitty. Yeah, how it's... am I supposed to pick up old CRTs? <laughs> he put out an advertisement... Asking about like-minded musicians influenced by bands such as the Blue Nile, the Electric Light Orchestra, David Bowie, and XTC in particular, which I know nothing about. Seems to be like a seminal art new wave. That ad sounds like it has a zero percent chance of bringing in like any non-stoner, like a single one. What, XTC or the advertisement? The advertisement. Yeah. Oh. I feel like that's a unspoken prerequisite. It's in the subtext. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it, it was San Francisco in the 80s. What do you expect? However, Manning and Sturmer did respond to this and met to collaborate, and nothing happened. Whoops. Then Beatnik Beach broke up, and they got back in touch, and... Through the prospect of a major label deal, the band Jellyfish was formed. That's the one that we're talking about. Hey! Yeah! How about Good that? job, Ben. <laughs> Good job. See, I can, I can remember things, like, on that level. <laughs> <laughs> My memory lasts that long. If you remember anyway, so... three more facts before the end of the episode, I'll put a sticker on your chart. Ah, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get a nickel every time I get a sticker, too. It's really exciting. Yeah. Buy myself a gumball. <laughs> For a nickel? That's... Well, he that's saves up five of them, and good then he can get the gumball. Gotta know where to look, my friend. I, even when I was a kid, they were a quarter. I don't know. Well, in- inflation, you know. I'm sure inflation has possibly had some effect on the price of gumballs in our lifetime. Anyway... Anyways. So, despite this bright start that the group had, they did not really get along. No. Manning and Sturmer were working together, happened by this point, and Faulkner couldn't really get into that. Apparently Mm. Manning was easy to work with, but Sturmer's sense of pride or whatever was very strong. He got very into his work. And all around, it was just unpleasant. <laughs> but the their first album was recorded, actually produced by the same person that produced the album Saturday Night Fever, apparently. So, very different. But this gave us their first album, Belly Button, released in 1990. You and your Loud enough for two. That is why. 
exactly the kind of name for an album I would expect from a band called Jellyfish, and it just it makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, what, I mean, what what sort of what, what what sort of vibe does the name? I already forgot. Belly button is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. What sort of vibe does that name give you? What is? Well, here's. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. When I first heard the album name, all I could think of was that VeggieTales song. Um... Don't know it. <laughs> Sorry, we're not. We're not. Mindy, you're not talking good. to two Jews. Yeah, we're not good Christian kids. <laughs> all, right, all right. Well, we'll we'll talk about it after the show. I have I have something to show you. All right. Oh dear. Now. Um, That's usually my line. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it embodies very much. Their whole band is kind of described as having, like, very heavily, like, Beatles influence and, like, Queen influence, and you can especially hear it in, like, their harmonies. Um, and it's also got a very, like, kind of... Their music sounds very whimsical, but their uh, lyrics in certain songs are not always quite as... They have more adult themes, but there is often, like, a lot of wordplay, a lot of puns. Um, they're very... It's... One thing, like, I had to actually, like, look up the lyrics on my second listen around um, through Belly Button, and then I really started getting, like, a lot more of the jokes, and I'm like, oh, wait, that's clever! That's really funny! I get wow. that! Wow! <laughs> I didn't know musicians could be clever! They made a God funny! It... She did a second listen and looked up the lyrics? <laughs> Is this what the extra two days got for you? No, this is just what having terrible audio processing does to you, so you have to compensate. Uh, The aesthetic of the album is very clear from the get-go, just from the cover, given that it's very psychedelic colors, there's, like, close-ups of flowers, the band itself are in, like, striped shirts and Dr. Seuss-style hats. Yeah. That's a good look. It's almost yeah, it's... kind of like 1980s, 90s Wonderland vibes. Yeah. I mean, ironically enough, it's the counterculture to the counterculture of the time. I know, which was very surprising when I first, like, was started researching it. It's not what I expected from a 90s band. Uh, yeah, as Mandy said, the music itself is very 60s, very... Beatles, Queen, Beach Boys especially. Very big on harmonies. All very peppy. I don't... I barely remember the words, yet the tunes just keep on coming back to me. Mm Mm-hmm. It is a very catchy album. But in contrast, the lyrics are not exactly the happiest. There's one particular song that's stuck with me, She Still Loves Him, which is peppy, like all of the other songs on the album. Mm -hmm. But it's it's clearly about an abusive relationship. I'm pretty sure they outright said in the lyrics that, like, this is physical and emotional abuse. Yeah. And then in my favorite song, uh, or at least one of them from Belly Button, I think it's The Man I Used to Be. Because uh, that's, uh, that one was my favorite. And it was just like, man, this is a, this is a bop. I love it. I want to, I would listen to this just, you know, all the time, even outside of, like, my research. And then I realized it's, you know, about this distant father figure who never, like, really got to know his child, watching his child grow up, but being afraid of, like, emotional closeness and initiating that. And to him, like, um, 
uh, I don't remember the exact lyric, but he's like, I'm just like the person next to your mother in a picture on her mantelpiece. And uh, it's Jesus. really sad. It's so sad, but it's One of those... it just sounds like kind of this really cool, chill, like alternative bop. And it's like, wait, <laughs> this is act. Oh, oh no, this hurts me. <laughs> The same vein, just, I don't know, it's one of those bands where as you get older, you realize just how depressing the songs actually are. Yeah. I don't know, a lot of them are gyms, and then they're just like about sitting at the kitchen table being depressed. Mood. (laughs) Wait, this actually got like critical acclaim from music critics at the time. Some of the different newspapers at the time called it like the best pop album of the year god damn high praise yeah and you know they went on tour good for them and yeah they got manning's brother number- chris to play bass for the tour i believe and he yes. did that for like the year and then after he's like all right i'm out <laughs> yeah which i can respect that yeah it's good it's good to know when to stop i think he apparently like went on to like settle in a more uh, a less less crazy life on the road and more just at life as a producer, which is crazy, but in a different way. <laughs> we also got a number of music videos from this. Got That Is Why, which is mostly just the band playing against a green screen. Baby's Coming Back, which is one of my favorite songs on the album. Probably the most well-known their songs to the average layman. The video has them drawn like Hanna-Barbera style, interacting with a giant baby who's terrorizing the city or whatever. <laughs> oh, cool. As you do. Yeah. I mean, giant, that's just how giant babies do sometimes, I guess. Yeah, I. it just happens. Uh, you never know. We also got the music video for The King is Half Undressed. Which, thankfully, is one of the prime examples of their use of metaphor and non-literal lyrics. Oh, so you're saying that there's no no actual nudity there. There's surprisingly yes. less nudity than you'd think, and surprisingly more things coming out of a hat. Yeah, it's... Uh, do those include wieners? Uh, it includes a really cute dog and fruit. Yeah, and, and not not dog? even, like, magician style. The lead singer is sitting on a throne in, like, one of those weird top hats they have, and he tears the top off of it, and things come flying out. Including his own hands playing the tambourine at one point. Or so it is implied. Yeah. Okay. It just happens sometimes. As you do. This was commonplace in the 90s. Yeah, normally you see a doctor, but if you want to make a music video out of it, that's fine, too. Yeah, we we Intr- all have our own ways of dealing with illness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interestingly enough, this video was actually nominated for best art direction at the MTV Video Music Awards. It did not win, however, since that was the year that REM did "Losing My Religion." Yeah, ah, <laughs> that I it. like that video. I I legitimately like that video. I wasn't saying anything negative. Yeah, no, it just it makes sense. <laughs> Okay, fine. Yes, yeah, they were so contrarian all the time. <laughs> because I don't trust you. In additional later limited edition releases of the album, they have mostly a lot of cover songs, usually of songs by the McCartneys for some reason. I don't know why. 
It's just a thing that happened. They released that, went on tour, and then in 1991, there was actually an additional album released as a promotion, which collected live performances of songs from the tour. I, I don't know. I haven't heard that one, but... Oh, yeah, we should probably mention, like, what we actually have listened to then, huh? Oh, I, I listen to everything else, but... Oh, okay. I listen to whatever you sent me, and yeah. that's it. <laughs> Which is everything else. Oh. And the album itself did decently well. It peaked at number 124 on the Billboard 200. Which, you know, hmm. it's the Billboard 200, but it's not great. Sure. And I am actually finding conflicting resources on how successful some of the individual songs were. Mm-hmm. I think the most successful was probably Babies Coming Back, which reached number 62 on the Billboard Hot 100. But a number of them actually did fairly well on the UK singles chart. UK is weird. Yeah, like, the highest, I think, reached number 11. I mean, they were heavily influenced by uh, uh, that other band, uh, XTC, uh, which was super influential in Britpop, so if there was already that audience there and they were branching off of that, that makes sense. I was kind of hoping you would get the name wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so... Uh, I'm sorry, Ben, I've disappointed you there. You'll get me. You'll get me sooner or later. Unfortunately, they did not really do so well behind the scenes, given that his songwriting contributions were kind of overlooked. Faulkner ended up leaving the group after the tour. As we said, Chris Manning also left after the tour, which really just left the two of them. I think Faulkner like specifically said it was like partially due to like the stress. He had like an ulcer at 21. That's another thing that's remarkable. These guys are all like in their early 20s when this is happening, which to me is crazy. Yeah, what the hell have I done? I haven't done anything. And neither have I. I I've done this for better or I've for done, worse. I've done this. Fortunately, I don't so- think anyone's gotten ulcers from it symbolic yet. So that's a positive. You haven't seen my editing process. <laughs> This is fair. This is fair. Again, thoughts and prayers for Jacob. <laughs> and maybe a blood sacrifice. In the intervening years, Manning and Sturmer actually worked with Ringo Starr on his 1992 solo uh, album, Time Takes Time. Which, for better or for worse, you never really hear about what Ringo did after the Beatles, do you? Uh... Yeah, I just... I, I hear about charity occasionally, but not really music. Hmm. Ill-adjusting to the internet age. Okay, following this, they were also actually invited to work with Brian Wilson of Beach Boys fame. It was probably... Comes full circle. Yeah, one of the biggest influences on the band. They met once, and nothing happened. They... That's just sort of that like chill beach lifestyle, you know. Like sometimes yeah. you don't, you don't. Are you do kidding? If, if anything, Brian Wilson was just composed of ulcers by this point. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a terrible thing to say. Look, he brought himself, like he worked himself into near madness. He was convinced that an album he recorded was cursed. Maybe he's right. Perhaps whoever. Maybe, these maybe brushes he with fame. His mic in the middle of recording. Okay, these brushes with fame inspired Jellyfish, and they were sure that they were going to make their next album their masterpiece. That's pretty early for a masterpiece. For five months, they spent eight hours a day, six days a week, writing songs. Which is crazy. If both of you are incredibly strong-minded, creative individuals, spending that yes, much I... amount of time with each other. And not ending it ending in someone murdering each other. Like, that's impressive well, to me. Well, neither... Just to clarify, nobody did get murdered, right? No. <laughs> not from this. Not uh, physically. Not physically. Uh, well, that's good to know. The end result was their second album, Spilt Milk.
This took several months to record, partially due to the sheer amount of additional artists that they brought on. This is a very intricate album, in addition to the previous harmonies and everything. Mm-hmm. These are in- songs in this include choir, strings, flutes, harpish chords. There's a lot. It just the just the the whole shebang. It's yes. Amazing mm. how cohesive it is as an album for having so much like variety of talent and people working on it in all these different capacities and the sheer like variety and sound that Spilt Milk has. It's it's it, exactly. kind of wild. Every song sounds different. Completely so. I honestly Mm -hmm. prefer this one to Belly Button. Yeah, Yeah, I think I prefer it as well. Belly, personally, Belly Button had more of my favorites uh, on it. Like, I think percentage-wise, more of the album individually I enjoyed. But I agree that Spilt Milk definitely sounds more polished. And Brighter Day, Brighter Day is just like, I have a lot of feelings about Brighter Day. It's really good, and I'll talk about it when we get there. But it's a a darn fine song. (laughs) It was actually conceived as a series of dreams. To quote Sturmer in the liner notes to the re-release, the idea was that the album would start with a lullaby, you're being lulled off to sleep and carried in these different dreams, and then you wake up at the end with the alarm clock. Is this some sort of hypnotism? (laughs) I don't know. That'd be interesting—a pop album or a, 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 a hypnotism tape disguised as a pop album. Hmm. <laughs> uh, maybe this one will be a bit less threatening when you look at the lyrics. Oh man! Will it be? Uh, depends on what song you're on. <laughs> yeah, some. All of... right, fair enough. Some of them I... are like cheerful. Some of them are nostalgic. Some of I them think... are like whimsical but sad. Yeah, one of them. Which was released as a single, The Ghost at Number One, is literally about, like, the phenomenon where an artist dies and then their work is held in much higher regard posthumously. And got All is Forgiven, which actually has one of the most interesting bits in a pop song I have ever heard, where I legitimately had to look up another recording just to make sure that it wasn't YouTube glitching out on me. then it all comes down and back with the song Brighter Day, which lasts about six minutes. It's a really good culmination of all of like the kind of individual aesthetics from the yes, album because it's um, it's kind of got it take there's kind of a carnival theme throughout it you know strike up the tent unpop the paint box and pack the carriages um, so there's like kind of calliope and carnival music going on but it's also within the lyrics it's really woven in like uh, the pairings of these kind of whimsical circus themes of childhood uh, with these very, like, harsh reality themes of adulthood. Um, That seems to be the big thing among the album. Yeah. I got uh, a lot of Lost Innocence vibes. Oh, gosh. It's... I feel feel silly making this comparison, um, but it's... It gave me, like... (laughs) The way I thought of it when I was listening to it, uh, Black Parade was me as a teenager... Brighter day is me as an adult. <laughs> um, they they give very similar vibes. Are you calling this an emo perennial work? It 
you know, it's it's really interesting. I mean, the whole line in the chorus, for the seeker of thrills behind the Ferris wheels, there's a man with one foot in the grave and one foot on a banana peel. He's an actor of sorts who sold himself too short, so now he travels door-to-door performing death of a salesman. That, uh, I don't know. But that's... That really hit with me. Uh... Yeah, they outright said that they were trying to fit every sound from the rest of the album onto a single track. Yep. And it somehow works. It's somehow really, really good. All of these, and then... I'm just looking at that, and two songs before that, it's just a song about the singer's dick. (laughs) That's just life, sometimes. (laughs) Yep. Yep. There's that Sometimes you gotta sing a song about your dick. You know... It's fucking, fucking lamb lies down all over again. Fuck it. <laughs> According to certain sources, uh, the, the, you know, songs about you know certain parts of genitalia aside, uh, they remark on how jellyfish for a '90s band had like unusually like pure and idealistic motives of like behind both spilt milk and belly button, like just creating the perfect album and even like during the turmoil between all the band members when belly button was being written the idea of making the just this really good music album was what held them together through the first one and then like you said the idea of making the perfect album ever was what made spelt milk and to be honest i think they've accomplished both fronts at least for them that was they're really good pieces of work (laughs) yeah both of them just i was legitimately impressed This album did not do as well, unfortunately. It was a bit more mixed in its reception, with some critics hailing it as a masterpiece, and others decrying it as derivative. Unfortunately, it only peaked at number 164 on the Billboard 200. The album was promoted with another year-long tour, this time with Tim Smith on bass and Eric Dover on guitar. But following this, this just didn't really work out. They contributed a cover in 1994 of the Harry Nilsson song, Think About Your Troubles, for the tribute album, For the Love of Harry, Everybody Sings Nilsson. And Nilsson actually personally requested that they sing on the album. That's Apparently, he was a fan. You have no idea who Harry Nilsson is, do yeah. you? If you if you can't reach the general population, I suppose. I mean, Harry Nilsson was pretty influential, even if people just remember him these days for Coconut. But this was the last song that they recorded together. At this point, Sturmer and Manning had drifted apart musically. And while they talked about doing a third album, they just didn't have interest in the same thing anymore. Thus, the band broke up. In retrospect, it's gotten a following due to its influence. I'll get into specifics in a bit, but they have released a few compilations... Some of them, surprisingly, Japanese-exclusive. I guess they're big there. News to me. Is that in part due to uh, what Sturmer did after well, uh, well, his we'll life see, Jellyfish? But, or but did they... I don't yeah, they've... think it would be. Particularly, there was the album Fan Club, released in 2002, which was a collection of demos and live performances. And best which is a best of, which is 
it's really just most of the album, most of their albums. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in regards to our two main performers, Roger Manning formed a brief group called Imperial Drag, which lasted from 1994 to 1997, which was apparently more glam rock than Jellyfish was. They released one album, self-titled, and reached one charting song, Boy or a Girl. In the 2000s, Manning did go on to release a few solo records. He toured with Beck for a while. Ultimately, he hasn't contributed much us. Sturmer, on the other hand, has been pretty elusive. He hasn't, like, he tries to stay out of the public eye. However, he... Nice, same. (laughs) He did become well-known somewhat as, like, a producer and composer. He's done a lot of songwriting for, for one, for Ozzy Osbourne. On the other hand, with Puffy Amiyumi. He wrote the... He also wrote the theme songs for Hi Hi Puffy Amiyumi, Teen Titans, and Ben 10. Wait, that wasn't... What? Why wouldn't that have been Puffy for Puffy Amiyumi? Well, they... <laughs> they... It's a show up... Well, they performed it. He just wrote the song. Interesting. They, they didn't write their own name. songs. I guess not. <laughs> I wonder if that's how they got their, their following in Japan. If they knew... Him as the writer from Puffy Amiumi, uh, and they found out he was in. Actually, Japan. now that I'm, I found my notes. They were. were he you was sit out notes up until now. <laughs> no, more specific notes. Like I haven't, I didn't do much research into Puffy Amiumi, but I was intrigued. The man's name and, is just Puffy. Please, yeah. <laughs> they were Amiyumi named by Andy Sturmer. <laughs> <laughs> Like, apparently he may have actually come up with it as from when they were trying to name Jellyfish. Oh. Yeah, he has been heavily involved with that band and has contributed to a few different Cartoon Network shows. However, he hasn't really done too much else. He apparently reconnected with Faulkner at one point. Like, just to apologize, which, good for him, I mean. It... Manning, it on the other hand... an ending as you can hope for. <laughs> yeah. Manning stated that while he has kept in contact with everyone else in the band, he has not talked to Sturmer since the 90s. And he doesn't believe that they will ever write songs together again. This... They were pretty influential. Like, bands such as the Merrymakers, the Hutchinsons, and Ben Folds 5 all listed them as inspiration but they may be more what they may be most well known among the average person though Uh. we're gonna need to go back a bit to 1991 with the i mean honestly now that you established them as uh, the puffy songwriter or one of them now that's probably what i would most think of them as being but there's this too yes (laughs) the album white knuckle scorin a compilation album released by Nintendo. This has... Well, in the West. Yeah. Of, of course. But this is back Nintendo before Nintendo and the West now? knew what they were doing. Uh, oh, boy. And it is something. Other, other artists on the album include Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Roy Orbison, and Sheena Easton. But those are not songs written for the album. No. No. There's only Jellyfish, one song written for the yes, album. Yes, Jellyfish 
has the first song on the album, the only original song, and the only one that has anything to do with Super Mario Brothers. Despite the fact that this was released as a Mario tie-in. The song, Ignorance is Bliss. Wake up! This Joe's true, and his I.O. one and only king. Bowser Koopa. I'm a turtle, as you've seen. A little slow and a little green, but on the whole, I'd say, super duper. Princess Toad's It's Ben's mother. Yeah, it's excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I I actually quite like this song, even in a non-ironic fashion. Oh, it was stuck in my head in work for like the next two days after I saw it and realized, oh, this is what I know them from, without knowing that I knew them from the song. <laughs> out of well, all of the things, I mean, they wrote a song from the perspective of Bowser. At the time when you know whatever age it was that I was watching stuff on Newgrounds, I had always just assumed this to be, like, a fan-created song. That's yeah, what like, I thought. But but one of, like, unusually high production, I suppose. Uh, likewise! Yeah, I'm like, like, someone just really, I guess, was really passionate about this idea and narrative and put time into a really good song and detailed fan animation. The I don't know, that's just little, what Newgrounds was settling. like in the mid-2000s. And th- there's all these bizarre references to, like, Peach reading a bunch that I didn't really get yeah, where that for, came from. I didn't yes, the album oh. came with an enclosed comic book that's mostly about literacy. Promoting literacy. Yeah. Yes, it's mostly about Mario saving the day by teaching people how to read. Call yourself a princess, but you're a brainiac in a dress. I can't believe you waste time with these books. You remind me of my kid sister. She read so much she got a blister. A big one. I mean, big on a plane, but a snuck! Uh. And Bowser being dumb as fuck and not knowing how to read. Yeah, I mean, among the people that he teaches are, like, Bowser's children, so... Is it possible that this is still canon, that Bowser does not know how to read? Well, here's the funny thing. I wonder if there's anything in this series that contradicts that. Uh, there's stuff that contradicts that in the very book. Oh, <laughs> uh, I from one article um, I read that was going over like certain weird things about the comic itself, and it providing a images lot of weird to it. Because for one, it's it, this thing is a wild ride, but it establishes that Bowser can't read, but apparently he can write. Like part of the plot at one point apparently hinges on him not being able to read these instructions to do this one thing, but another integral part of the plot involves him faking a letter uh, to the Mario Brothers, supposedly from Peach, that he has forged. I have so no idea what the it. hell this says! He can't, <laughs> he can't read, but apparently he can write, and apparently his major goal of this, uh, his whole evil plan is to join OPEC. The yes. organization yeah, of petroleum now, exporting yeah. countries. Um and and that's the plot. Uh I mean it was I, it was pretty germane at the time, I suppose. Yeah. I I guess so. Going for that Captain Planet money. Uh <laughs> Um but it's yeah. yeah, this is a very weird comic book for for a number of reasons that being one of them uh another one you're not really sure who they made this for uh for if you look at some of the bands on there there's a band called flesh for lulu um just not exactly the kind of band you would expect being like at an album maybe targeting children and then there's Uh, britney fox which is glam metal yeah. This may be a bit more of a focus on how like horny everyone is for Peach than you would usually expect in your oh. Mario media. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Um, there's one point in the story where uh in order to uh stop Bowser's plan from coming through, Peach tears a page out of a magical book and it says she shoves it down her decolletage. 
Um, okay, cool. Which, you know, okay. basically means she puts stuff in her bra, as you do. Um, as you do, huh? As you but do. Then, <laughs> the, Wait, the you mean you don't do that, Ben? Part of it. <laughs> yeah, um, Ben, don't you put things in your bra? I talk about on the internet, thank you very much. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, you know, I respect that. But then it gets creepy where it says, luckily, like, when the guards come in, they didn't notice the extra bulge in the princess's dynamite bod. And I'm like, awesome. I'm sure sure if you went and showed that to Miyamoto, he would just, like, be like, good stuff. And, like, Yoshi. This is what I had had envisioned from day one. (laughs) Apparently, Yoshi, instead of just being cute and saying Yoshi, also calls Peach the smart-looking babe with the dynamite bod and says she's hotter than ever. Uh, now now I'm just envisioning that things. with the voice acting from the Super Mario World cartoon. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Princess, a smart-looking uh, babe with it. a yeah. dynamite bod. I can't fucking do it. I, can't. <laughs> I have a hard time picturing Yoshi saying anything other than Yoshi! And much less making like Your poor kind of naive soul. Comments. What if what if what if he's just like mad horny though? What if Yoshi was just like <sighs> fucking all over that princess? Apparently, oh, dear. apparently in this comic he is, and it's a little disturbing. Yeah. Um, back, this is a bit of a tangent. Yeah, yeah. back on track. <laughs> the, is... the song is probably best well known thanks to an animation. I can't find the fucking time that it was released because the animator brandon big army bug c deleted everything from his new grounds and deviant art ah uh, fortunately it lives on on it youtube still exists. what yeah it still exists online yeah it's still on youtube dies on the internet yeah, yeah. it was I would be surprised if anyone around our age who was, like, remotely into games had not seen it. Exactly. I. It feels like everyone I know at the same age as me who was into the same stuff had, had seen it. it. Exactly. I remember this from, like, middle, early high school. Yeah. So what a weird way for this band to, like, sort of resonate with our generation. I know! That's... Hey! Which, this was not it's, the way uh, it's a bit of a shame, but... At the same time, it's probably my favorite one of their songs. <laughs> yeah, Honestly. no, I mean, if nothing else, we got to enjoy it all. The, we got to enjoy their work all the same. Yeah, I mean, it, it appears on their best. Even uh, it appears on their best of album. <laughs> yeah. So just what a what a weird way to come around to it. I know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm glad that I finally took the chance to look into this band because it's certainly a good band. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's generally credited that the reason it didn't succeed along with the bands that they worked on directly before and after were because, you know, this was the early 90s, grunge was the big thing. Yeah, yeah. definitely. The gravelier your voice sounded, the better off you were. Yeah. It, and it's kind I of can like understand this... how it was just sort of a wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, I, I wonder how it would have worked in any other time, like. This was a band kind of made for the 70s. Well, if nothing else, you could say in the early 2000s, their work designed for a certain video game franchise did end up, you know, (laughs) grabbing the attention of a lot of people. There you go. In a way, way, they found their success there. I can't believe that this is our biggest focus on the band. If they are listening somehow, I want to apologize. (laughs) I know, I feel bad about that. But just sort of like, it's just... It's, it's the difference between, like, three weeks' worth of research versus, like, oh my, ten not, years' worth of familiarity. I just think it's interesting how even if they didn't make a large impact in the scope of pop music, in the scope of Flash animation, they ended up contributing to, like, one of the biggest things. I know. <laughs> so it's, it's funny how that works. Yeah. Jesus. And that's how this works. I I don't know this. This is a but segue. No, I, I, <laughs> I could make a Hamilton reference here, but I'm going to abstain for Jacob's sake. But no, if you, I feel like if anyone's ever, if, if they have like nostalgia for the original song or for Ignorance Is Bliss, thinking back on it, like wow, that really was like a catchy song with you know, fun melodies it and really, it's like if you think back on it that way, then looking back on their other stuff is more than worth your time. Oh, definitely. Mm. 
Like, I wouldn't call them some of my favorite albums, but they are up there. They're going to be worth really the time solid. you put into listening to it. I can promise you that much. That's probably the best music that we have covered for this podcast. I just pissed off a ton of classic rock fans, haven't I? <laughs> but, yeah, to each their own. Yeah, before they hunt us down, can... thank you for listening to It's Symbolic. If you have a suggestion, have criticism, anything, you you just want to say whatever, you can contact us on Twitter at It's Symbolic PC or through email at It's Symbolic Podcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram at It's Symbolic Podcast. If you just want to see a bunch of stills from that flash, I guess. Well, we'll have plenty of actual information. We'll, we'll have plenty of actual photos to be worthy of their legacy. <laughs> we'll see about yes, that. Yes, and be sure to just leave a rating and review however you're listening. It helps a lot. That's how you spread the word. In addition to physically spreading the word, please do that too. Unless you're still mad about that comment that Jacob made like a minute ago. Yeah. I mean, whatever gets listens on the stats page, I guess. Oh my god, is that, is that the angle we're going for? We're going to go for the controversial angle? I, you gotta I do don't know. Do in this world. I, at this rate, it may be too little too late. It may be all we can do. Alright, how about this? Uh, in and out isn't that good. <laughs> tell, tell everyone that I said that. Oh uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Sir. Uh, you guys got anything? I-, I already said my controversial statement for this episode. Yeah, Mandy, what about uh, you? Oh, I don't this know. is your la- this is your maybe your last episode for a little bit. Yes, after oh, this God, we don't really know yet. A- after this I mean, episode I we will be selling to- off Mandy to the highest bidder. <laughs> so yeah, that's So before happens. that, you can try to like decrease your value with a good hot take. I already compared Brighter Day and uh Black Parade, so I'm pretty sure fans <laughs> of both are now preparing my demise. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. Both like both are very good songs, both of which I love dearly. Okay. Thank you again to Mandy for joining us. Not really that controversial, but mm. all right. <laughs> And thank you for listening. Join us next time where we find out where the hell the goddamn cat got to. Where is that dang cat? Where'd it go? I mean, crying outside of my room at three in the morning, probably. Uh, What? Let her in! (laughs) My cat is disgusting! (laughs) What? How could you say that? No. Okay, one of my cats is allowed. The other has been banished. You're discriminating. <laughs> she deserves it. We gave him the heebie-jeebies. One second thought, I think I've made my point.